0: Whenever we have these things that we're like, these are capital T truths, and this is the way a woman is supposed to be, a man is supposed to be, a good boy, a good girl, of whatever it is that you're dealing with in terms of your own psychology, I think it's worth examining why those exist. If you want to have something, if you want to be a certain kind of way, if you want to pursue something, but there's this ancient, family lore around not doing that it's not a justifiable good thing it's just something our family doesn't do man you gotta unpack that because think of all these years i could have just been free hi i'm rachel hollis and this is my podcast looking into the monitor on this video. And I am reminded that it has been a long time since I've been out in the sun. I need a little vampire vibes. I need some some sun. I'm excited though, because at the end of this month, I'm going on a vacay to celebrate wrapping up tour and a bunch of big projects that are coming to fruition finally. And so we're going to go celebrate by laying in the sun and drinking tequila. And I am very ready for that. But first, we're going to talk about things I don't do anymore. We're going to talk about things I don't do anymore. You may have seen me speak on the idea of a full moon and of using the full moon as this great opportunity to let go of things that no longer serve you. One of the most popular episodes of the podcast is about my full moon rituals and how my friends and I started having full moon dinners. And really, it was just, I mean, we use a full moon you could use any day you want to. But essentially, the idea is that you pick one day a month and you ask yourself, what do you need to let go of? What are things in your life that are no longer serving you? I go into all the details about how we came up with this practice and why we came up with this practice, but for today's episode, I thought I would actually share with you some of the things that I have given up that I no longer do, that I no longer use, that I no longer participate in, because oftentimes when we hear someone else tell their story, even if we don't follow the exact same path, it helps us to figure out some ideas of our own. So that's my intention for today. These are not controversial, but I guess maybe surprising. Maybe surprising to some of you, maybe not. Definitely surprising to a younger version of me who wouldn't have believed I'd ever be at a place where I would have stopped doing these things, let alone talk about them publicly. But um, that's where we're at. Things I don't do anymore. Number one, shave my bikini line regularly. That is where we are going to jump in is with my pubic hair. Right. It's a lot to just go there first. But, I mean, let's talk about this. When I was married, that was my first ever real relationship of any kind with a man or, I mean, with anybody. That was my first relationship. I made that sound like I had long, toured affairs with women which would be fun. But no, I never experienced that. So in my marriage, that was my first real relationship. And I sort of was informed on how my body was supposed to be, how my sexuality was supposed to be, how I was supposed to look and act and behave based on, I don't know, like TV... Victoria's Secret ads, the things I saw on Sex in the City, the things I read inside of Cosmo circa, you know, 2003, I definitely was just really misinformed about what was sexy and what was, I don't know, the way that I'm using air quotes if you can't see me, but like the way that a woman is supposed to be. And I think when we don't know what we're supposed to do, we emulate someone else. We emulate the vision that we have. It's why media and representation inside of media is so important because if you don't see someone like you or if you don't see someone like the version that you wanna be, you run the risk that you'll follow a path that is not aligned with who you are simply because you don't have an alternative. So for me, I had all of these you know, late 90s, early 2000s influences of what women were supposed to aspire to and what we needed to do to, quote, please our man and, you know, know how to give the world's greatest blowjob, and know how to wear the sexiest underwear and, like, be like a porn star while you were having sex and just all of this stuff. Maybe you have a different upbringing or a different influence than I did, That's definitely not what I was learning from like church or things I was supposed to be influenced by, but I was. I absolutely was. And along those lines was this belief that I had that my pubic hair needed to always be groomed, manicured, be very little. I mean, there was like regular... (laughs) regular bikini line area life, which was just sort of shaved and high and tight, as it were. And then there was like vacation. I Honestly, I can only think of real terms right now. So I'm like, then there was vacation labia, but I promise you (laughs) nobody's calling it that. Then there's what happened to the girl when, uh, when i was going on vacation which was to get a brazilian wax if you're not familiar with that special form of torture uh it's like a like a landing strip essentially which i don't even understand i actually don't understand the bikini wax that just leaves the tiniest little bit of pubic hair it it's like a weird upper lip mustache. Like it, it makes no sense to me. Like, Ooh, this is sexy, but also don't worry. Like there's a little bit of pubic, like where I, I don't even want to look up the origin of this concept because I'm sure it would depress me just F the patriarchy. And it's all so jacked up, but I didn't know better. So whenever I would go on vacation, I definitely would, you know, get It's like that scene in 40-Year-Old Virgin, everything's being waxed, I'm screaming, the front, the butt, the all of it. And I really hated that process, to be honest with you, uh, because it hurts. But I definitely like when everything's sort of neat and tidy, and when you get a wax, you have a lot more time before it comes back. So there were things about it that I liked, but all of this to say— that my experience with the hair on my labia was based on someone else's ideal of sexy. If you get a bikini wax, whether that's a Brazilian or just a little cleanup or you take it all off and it makes you feel very sexy, freaking here for that. I love that for you. Embrace it. Embrace yourself. Embrace your heart. I will say as a side note, when you are waxed, there's more sensation, so that made vacation extra fun. There were pluses to this. But in the last couple of years, I guess, I really started to question why I feel this need to keep like as little hair on my body as possible. Now, I'm still shaving my legs, still shaving my pits. I've, I, I'll i take that with me to the grave, I'm sure. That one's too ingrained. But when it comes to our genitals, this was just, it, it started to feel more and more weird to me. I think, I'm not going to lie, if I could shave and keep things neat and tidy without any side effects, I would do it and you and I wouldn't even be having this conversation. But I have tried everything in the world, and I still get pretty bad razor burn, and I get ingrown hairs. I know y'all did not want to hear about my hoo-ha today, but here we are. So every time I try and keep things manicured, I'm dealing with all of these negative side effects that feel worse than just having more hair. So I started thinking about it for a while, for a while. And, you know, I've been dating my boyfriend for, oh gosh, a little over a year and a half. And I guess too, in a new relationship, I had certain ideas about needing to show up again in a, in a specific way, but I am dating the most evolved, like spiritual hippie human being. And I just was like, I bet he could not care less about this. And I know y'all, I I could present myself to you in this conversation and say like F the men, I don't care. I didn't I did it for me. I changed for me. <laughs> but like I I did I did care what he thought. I wasn't basing all of my decisions on that, but I did care what he thought. And you could be like, you're not a strong enough feminist. That's okay. Like, we all got our stuff. Let this be mine. But I had started to think, like, this is crazy. Why am I doing this? This is, like, gross. And I'm buying into some mythology about women's bodies, and it's not something I need to participate in. But I did say, I was just like, hey, out of curiosity, is this a thing? And he was like, what? No. Oh, my God. Like, what are you? Do whatever. Like, be free. Go do you. You're beautiful. Which I knew he was going to say anyway. But it's just nice, I guess, to have your partner's buy-in if you're going to go, like, back to 1972 uh, down in the undercarriage. So, yeah. I... Just to give – let's just to paint, like, a full picture, I basically let her go into the point where, like, things start to grow down into places that it would feel weird. Like, oh, you have a wig in your panties. Like, things are coming out of the underwear. I keep that in check, and I do trim it because – Wow, this is a lot more information than I ever thought I was going to talk to you guys about. Uh, When I am running long distance, I wear, like, uh, tight running shorts. And frankly, if there's too much bush, I'm just going to be honest, it, like, starts to feel uncomfortable for me. So I keep her trim with some scissors. I keep the, uh, the outgrowth in check. And... Then I go a little bit neater and tidier when I'm going to be in a bathing suit, like when I go on vacation at the end of this month and we're going to be by a pool. I'll keep, I'll get her, I'll get her in check. But that's for public safety. That's not for sexual enjoyment. Uh, But that was a big one for me. And maybe it seems silly, but it was a big deal for me to be like, I can embrace just sort of what my body is doing naturally and not in a way that's like oh i don't care right like oh i'm you know i'm just letting it all go but no could i actually embrace that this is the way my body is supposed to look and function and be and still think it's really sexy and beautiful and sexual and all the things so yeah that's my first thing i don't do anymore i don't i don't shave my chochi Yeah, probably should stop calling it (laughs) Chochi. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more. All built to last. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. On to the next. The second thing that I don't do anymore really is wear a bra. You guys, if you listen to this show, you have probably heard me I'm sure we have clips of, like, a thousand times on this where I've said, like, I'm not wearing a bra. I'm not wearing a bra. Oh, my gosh. I hope you can't tell. I'm not wearing a bra. And I became conscious that I really, number one, I hate wearing a bra, and I'm at home, so why should I be? And number two, it's almost like I have to tell you that it's happening for some sort of weird permission. And I was really conscious of how often I was saying, like, I'm not wearing a bra, I'm not wearing a bra, which who's even paying attention to that? But I realized I was interacting with, I think, my mom. I was, like, talking to her on FaceTime or something, and like, I'm not even wearing a bra right now. Like, I'm a mess. And I thought, oh, ding, ding, ding. That's where I get it from. Because growing up – that just, I think it's like just a different uh, time period or a different way of being raised. But growing up, I was definitely conscious or hearing a lot that that was kind of like an unkempt woman, like someone who wasn't pulled together, someone who wasn't sort of putting their best foot forward was someone who wasn't wearing a bra, which is, I mean, I wonder psychologically where that comes from. Don't you think that probably there is something to my mom being raised in an environment that was very conservative inside a very conservative, oppressive church, but she was coming of age in a time period where women were burning their bras, where hippies existed, where there was this whole other culture that was so evil and sinful and wrong that I wonder I got to ask her about this. I wonder if there's a connection between a bra and like the right kind of woman that you're supposed to be. I for sure got that as part of what it was to be the right kind of the right kind of girl. And so I didn't ever do anything publicly without a bra on. And I, by publicly, I mean like doing an Instagram story from the chin up. It's so crazy. And as I started to explore this topic, I realized it's not just a bra. I feel really weird about cleavage. I feel really uncomfortable with cleavage, I'm realizing. My own cleavage, not yours. Yours is beautiful. Pull it out. Let's see. But for me, I feel really, I don't know, about it. And so I'm trying to, one, let go of this weird psychology that I have that you're supposed to wear a bra everywhere you go because, God forbid, your breasts should be unbound or free. And frankly, I started to embrace this because I hold all the tension in my body, in my um, shoulders, my neck, and my traps. And I have chiropractic work done. I have energy healing done. I have massage therapy done. But if I'm in any kind of stressful situation, the pain in my shoulders, my neck, and my traps is horrible. And so frankly, I stopped wearing a bra as much because it hurts. Like it physically hurts to have one on. All of that to say... Whenever we have these things that we're like, these are capital T truths, and this is the way a woman is supposed to be, a man is supposed to be, a good boy, a good girl, of whatever it is that you're dealing with in terms of your own psychology, I think it's worth examining why those exist. If you want to have something, if you want to be a certain kind of way, if you want to pursue something, but there's this ancient, Family lore around not doing that—it's not a justifiable good thing. It's just something our family doesn't do. Man, you got to unpack that. Cause think of all these years I could have just been free, bush, at full freedom, boobies at full freedom, and I just have it. So I'm not trying to be wild out in these streets. I just am trying to be comfortable here in these sheets. You know what I'm saying? I am not wearing a bra right now. I am wearing a tank top, though this does seem like very scandalous. Even this is not that big a deal. You guys can't see unless you're watching this on YouTube. But I do feel like, oh my gosh, this is such a low cut tank top. And I feel like, you know, someone's going to call the cops on me. Uh, So (laughs) I did button this before we started. I'm here for not wearing a bra. It's going to take me a minute to let cleavage roam free. And I have to figure out probably first, why cleavage is so scary to me. All right. And next in line, things I don't do anymore, take birth control. This is a conversation about this moment. I'm going to talk about medicine. Obviously, you need to discuss anything that you're considering with your doctor. I am a chick on a podcast. I am not a medical authority. But if you listen to the show, you know that I have spent a lot of time over the last couple of years trying to balance my hormones. And that has been one of the most healing, life-giving things I've ever done. But it's been hard. I was pretty freaked out to try birth control again because I had been off of it for so long. So quick history. I had a very long relationship with my ex he had a vasectomy. I'm not saying anything he hasn't said publicly. So there's I'm not like revealing truth, but he had a vasectomy a very long time ago. So I didn't need to be on birth control. And that was good because I my my system is so sensitive and so susceptible to anything that I put inside of it. And years ago, when I was on birth control, I was batshit crazy. It made me insane. It it made me bloated. It made me uncomfortable. It made me all of these things, but I genuinely was too young. I didn't have the knowledge to understand that there were other ways to manage conception of a child. So I just did what I thought you did, which was be on the birth control pill. And it was, in retrospect, horrible. I hate that there were so many years where my body was put through the wringer And I just thought it was the way it was supposed to be. And the more women I talk to, yes, I do have friends that are on different forms of hormonal birth control, and it is they feel like it's great in their life, but far and away, women I talk to have really severe side effects. It makes them moody. It kills their sex drive. They don't produce as much lubrication during sex as they once did. It's harder for them to get turned on. They feel bloated. They feel heavier periods or no periods at all. Or It's just it really messes with women's systems. And you also have this increase in your potential for things to happen to your body that are really scary I think for the longest time we would hear these stories about the side effects of birth control and we'd be like, whatever, like the myth of toxic shock syndrome where we're like, oh, that's, you know, something that happens on the back of a tampon box. That's not something that happens in real life. But then you see a very real life story. I don't know if you caught it like six months ago or something. Haley Bieber made a video on YouTube about... Going on birth control and not realizing that because of pre existing medical conditions, she shouldn't have been going on hormonal birth control. And she had a horrible reaction. She had a mini stroke. She ended up having all of these heart problems. She had to have surgery on her heart. And she's like 24 years old or something, or 25 years old. This like baby had these really extreme reactions to hormonal-based birth control. It's not, oh, it's just like an alleged thing where they have to give us this as a potential. No, some people are really hurt by it and, again, are not doing the research. They're not having conversations with their doctor. They don't understand how detrimental that can be. Your hormones, as if you are someone who bleeds, like if you are someone who bleeds, you get a, a you have a cycle, you have a period once a month, if you are still in that space, your hormones are really ruling your life. They are. If I understand this now in a way that I didn't before, if your hormones aren't in check, your life is not going to be What you want it to be. It's just not. The more women I talk to who have understood this, have started seed cycling, have started working with supplements and things that really help them to feel in balance, it's like night and day. When your hormones are out of whack, you are out of whack. I'm going to keep talking about hormones for the rest of my career, maybe, because I don't think that there's something. That exists today. There's not knowledge that exists today that can have as profound effect on your life as that. I was just talking to a new friend yesterday, and we were talking about this, that the rate of suicide increases in women astronomically. Suicide and suicidal ideology increases astronomically in the three days before your period. But if you don't understand that those three days can bring on something like that and you start to have suicidal ideology, you begin to believe that there may be some truth to the things that you're thinking. There's so much power. I'm not, I've done already so many episodes about it. I will continue to do episodes. This is not going to be one of them, but just know hormone-based birth control is not the only option. There are so many options and there are inherent risks. Like let's, be real, what I use for contraception is condoms, Tried different stuff. Um, I did try for last year for like two weeks, I tried going on birth control and lost my ever-loving mind, felt absolutely horrible. And then it took me like six weeks to get back on track. It just, oh, so crazy. But my chosen method of contraception is paying attention to when I am ovulating taking extra precautions around that time and using condoms. And I did accidentally get pregnant last year. You know, I did a podcast at the beginning of the year about that. I did accidentally get pregnant using a condom. And I'm also the same person that accidentally got pregnant 15 years ago while on birth control. So I'm I'm really fertile. It's a risk that I'm willing to take to be only using condoms as my contraception because I absolutely am not planning to have a baby. And when I found out I was pregnant, I was so excited. I felt like the universe was sending me this gift and I didn't know how it happened. And later the baby died. Uh, I've tried to teach myself to not say I lost the baby because I think it uh, is a pretty... I don't like the vernacular there. I think it's it, it implies that the woman did something. Like, oh, I lost my baby. Like, I put my baby down and then, you know, left it somewhere. And really, uh, while I was pregnant, my baby's heart stopped beating. I was devastated. And it has taken most of this year to get to a place where I feel whole again and I feel healed. And I did grapple for a while with oh, was that a sign from God that I'm supposed to have another baby? Like, am I supposed like that? That was a whole mind fuck, you guys. That took a lot of therapy and a lot of conversations to get past. My ultimate answer is that no, I don't believe. I don't know why that happened. It's one of those things in my life that I don't feel like I'm ever really going to know why all of that happened the way that it did, but. I still feel very sure that my four children are a lot of children and my energy is focused on being the best mom I can to them, which is still going to be the rest of my life of working to do that well. All of that to say, if I found out I was pregnant, like if I found out condoms didn't work and I found out I was pregnant tomorrow, I would also be thrilled and that would be the course that my life is going to take. But to me... It is not worth having more confidence. It's not worth it to mess up my body on a daily basis. I mean, this is, your body's a temple, right? This is a sacred space. This is what you've got to work with and you want to take care of it to the best of your ability. I think that taking care of yourself to the best of your ability looks like limiting as much as you possibly can, things that you're putting into your body that could potentially negatively affect it. I wish that we lived in a world that paid as much care and attention to Women's health as it does to men's, because I guarantee if men were the ones who had to take birth control pills, which were invented for men a very long time ago, but they do not sell them because, you know, what man would take that on? But if men were the ones who were in charge of taking birth control, I promise you that they would have less side effects. I promise you that there would be a lot more. Effort and intention put into birth control to make sure that it was safer for the person taking it. But we know that they don't put as much intention into women's health as they do to men's. And I hope that that changes and that sometime in the future, there are solutions that are better and safer for women, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. But I don't think we're there. And Since we're not there, I am choosing to not use that form of hormone in my body. But you talk to your doctor about what is best for you. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. traveltexas.com/get your own. The next thing that I no longer do is read romance novels. I no longer read romance novels. This maybe doesn't track with you at all if you're new to my community. But for years and years and years, I loved a romance novel. I talked about it all the time. I read in every genre. Was it historical? Yes. Was it sci-fi? Sure. Was it a current day working woman meets a grouchy billionaire? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm here for that. I have read all of them. Is there a vampire and a witch involved? Let's go. Uh, is it a teenage love story? Perhaps. Are we in the Hunger Games and like we're fighting for our lives, but also in a love triangle? Like if there was a love story in a book, sign me up. I am here. Old, new, doesn't matter. I want every part of it. And I read thousands. I'm not exaggerating that number. It was my preferred form of entertainment. Some people watch the Kardashians, I read historical romance novels. Have spoken about it very publicly. I've written 3 novels that had love stories. Very big part of my life for about a decade. And when I got divorced, I stopped reading them and sort and for obvious reasons, like I was going through this horrible breakup and I couldn't even fathom the idea of romance, let alone reading about someone else's love story. What's that song? Like, Love Stinks? Like, that was me. Remember in The Wedding Singer, (laughs) everyone at table eight? That was me. I was just like, love stinks. I don't want any part of this. So I wouldn't read any. And then over time, even like as that pain and that process dissipated, I didn't have a desire to read them anymore And I started to wonder about that in the last six months because I thought, this is crazy. Like, this was such a massive part of my life. If I was by a pool on vacation or if it was my holiday break and the kids were in bed, I'd, like, pick up a novel. And I don't do that at all anymore. And I started trying to unpack and figure it out. I was in Brooklyn. I was having drinks with one of my friends. And she had just gone through a breakup. And she was saying how... She was in her relationship, she had a long-term relationship and when she was inside of it, she had written out the idea, she's a writer, so she'd written out the idea for this like character based on her life, but not her life because the person was single and they were like here's how they were looking for love and it was interesting whatever. And she's like, "Shoulda realized that was a red flag." And I was like, "Exactly." In retrospect, I read romance novels nonstop because I did not have romance in my life. I liked reading about meet cutes and magic and people who were like intentional and this swoony love story because I didn't have that. I had a partnership, I had a co parent, I had a very dear friend, I had a sex life. I had all of these things but I did not have romance. In the in the books in the fantasy, I guess, the woman is pursued. She's pursued by someone. And and maybe she pursues them back, but kind of the crux of this idea is that they're falling in love and they're interested in each other and they do things and I think this happens a lot in in long-term relationships where the pursuit stops. And I really think that I retreated into reading about what I did not have. And I would try and sort of recreate these moments or like find these moments or let's have date night or whatever. But it's not the same when you're like figuring it out and setting it up and inviting the person and doing the, like, if you're solo in that effort, it doesn't feel the same as it does in a book, obviously. And it's super easy to hear this and be like, well, life isn't a book. You're right, but life can be magical. And I know what it's like to be in a relationship now with someone that romance is a priority. That's the thing. like Everybody gets to be who they are. And romance is a lower priority for some people than others. It doesn't make Their choice is wrong, but it does mean if you have one partner who's reading nonstop about what it would be like to be in a relationship where romance is in the air and we're having adventures and we're doing these things and the other person's like, I'm fine with how it is, there's going to be a misalignment there. And there are all sorts of misalignments that lead to a breakup, but it never occurred to me that I was looking for something that I didn't have that I was looking for something in the pages of those books that I didn't have. And I share that one because I'm going to bet that there are those of you who are pursuing and looking for things out in the world. You're like trying to do things externally that you're not getting inside the actual relationship that you're inside of this can lead to really dangerous things too, right? This can lead to really hurting someone that you're with because maybe you seek a level of intimacy with someone that is not your partner and that can be deeply hurtful or maybe this is what leads to affairs or maybe this is what leads to fantasy or sort of a disconnection from who you're with. But I do think that having those books, I didn't understand it at the time, But it was a crutch. It was like sort of a numbing mechanism. Like I could go to this place and read these other people's stories and have something fulfilled in me that I I didn't have in my own relationship. But I because I always had a book to go back to, I wasn't conscious of why I kept going back to the book. So it's kind of a weird one. And I don't know what that might be in your life. But for me, my girl said when we were having drinks, like, she's like, that should have been a red flag. Like, how excited I was about this story about this woman who was with a completely different kind of man than my partner should have been a signal to me that there was something that wasn't right. The fourth thing that I don't do anymore is go to church. I make that look, if you're watching this on YouTube, I make like a, oh, wow, she's doing it. I'm going to guess most of you don't care about that, but I also am positive that many of you do. Even saying this right now, my chest is like, there's a feeling in my chest and my stomach about speaking this truth because I grew up in the church. Because of Girl, Wash Your Face, I have a lot of audience members and community members that feel very deeply about church. And I am not speaking to your experience or your truth. I am just sharing my own. And I am sharing my own not to change the way you feel about what you're doing, but because my instinct is there are members of this listening audience who have also found themselves in a similar place. And we're not supposed to talk about this. And it's sort of like a just let everyone sort of believe what they believe about you, and then you're going to be okay. But I'm not really interested in that. I I want a community of people who's open to every kind of person, uh, because that's how I try and be, and I believe that we attract what we are. And yeah, I guess if you believe that I go to church every Sunday, I don't know why you would, because I feel like I don't Like fit into that description anymore. But if that is your perception, I wanted to talk to this. If you were not raised in a religious community, it might even seem weird to you that this would be something worth talking about publicly. But the way I was raised, it is a really big deal. And I will say, I spoke about this in Girl, Wash Your Face. But really, the beginning of the end for me was... Years ago, when two of my best girlfriends, uh, Beans and Sammy, which you, if you have ever been to RISE Conference or if you've hung out with me long enough, you probably know those girls because they're just always part of my work and my life and my storytelling. But these two women that I went to church with fell in love with each other. And they were both on the pastoral staff at church. And uh, that did not go over well. We thought that we were inside a church that was inclusive and accepting, and I guess it was unless you were gay, in which case uh, suddenly everything shifted. And that whole experience was horrible to watch from the outside, and I can't fully imagine what it felt like to Sammy and Beans on the inside, but I just... Had so much anger in that process. I had obviously seen the church, different churches, do really crappy things in the name of God over and over and over, which is insane because the foundation of the Christian faith is love thy neighbor, love thy neighbor as thyself. But I have seen the church do so many things. I mean, we have all seen, unless you have been living under a rock for the past ever. We have all seen different pieces and parts of the church do things, cover things up. I mean, like the Spanish Inquisition, the witch trials, the pure—like, come. we could go all the way back and look at times that the church body has really hurt its fellow humans. And the reason that happens is because no matter how much intentionality that organization starts with, it is still run by humans— humans are flawed we are imperfect but that's not really the foundation of most churches most churches are founded on the idea that like god is in us and so the decisions and the actions and the things that we're doing are god and that can be really dangerous and it, i if you have a church family that you love and incredible amazing embrace that like that is such a freaking gift but i think that it would be naive to believe that every single church body is safe and right and good always 100% of the time so when i walked with my friends through this process and saw them ostracized and treated so badly by the church i i mean i tried we had been there for a long time and we loved our church like it was amazing until we saw sort of behind the curtain And I couldn't sit there anymore. I would hear the head pastor speak, and he's such a talented speaker. I would sit in the congregation and hear him speak, and just, I was like, this is all BS. Like, I just, I know what you're doing, and it doesn't align with the loving God that I know. And I've said publicly that my oldest son is gay. But I knew even then, I knew when he was a little, like, I just have always known. And I just kept imagining if we stayed in this church and Jackson was a teenager and we're still at this church and he's understanding what happened to his aunties. Here's a story about what happened to his aunties and how the church, and he's like, what are you guys doing? Like, you knowingly stayed in an environment where you know they do not love and accept people unless they're straight? And I just couldn't imagine, like, I couldn't sit with the hypocrisy of that. So we stopped going to that church. We started going to another one. We did, like, church hopping. We tried to find different things. After that, we moved out of Los Angeles to Austin. We started going to a church here. But to be honest, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't sit inside that space. I just I just found so much—hypocrisy is the word I use. I just found so much wrong with it. I don't understand this church building and, like, a pastor making that much money and driving that car and there are people sleeping on the streets of this city tonight. Like, there's just— oh, I know this, like I'm running the risk of like pissing off so many people. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about all churches. I'm talking about my experience. So I really started to explore how do I have a relationship, a stronger, better relationship with my creator, with my God that doesn't require the step of church that doesn't require this sort of dogmatic show up here on Sunday at 10 a.m., do these things, say these things. What did that look like? Oh, I struggled with it so hard, you guys, because I was raised my whole life going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, maybe a Bible study. And I thought, like, I legitimately, no BS, thought, am I like damning my children to a life? without the routine and the ritual of church. But then I would balance that with, am I also hurting them if I expose them to these things that no longer align with how big I understand God to be? To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. That was a whole freaking thing, and I it took a lot of unpacking and was a definitely a point of tension in my relationship in the past because I just I can't do this. I can't pretend in this way anymore. And I think the beauty of going through that process is my faith has never been stronger. I would describe myself as very spiritual. I have a stronger faith, a more beautiful spirituality. I am more regularly in prayer. I am more regularly in meditation. I feel more connected to a loving God than I ever have before. But the freedom of removing church from the mix is that I've been able to unpack a lot of things that I was taught that I don't think align with what is true. There are a lot of parts of the Bible and the Christian faith and maybe the particular religion that you practice. But there are a lot of parts of that that are deeply patriarchal, obviously, uh, that make women less than, that make women smaller and more insignificant. And I think a huge part of a very hurtful ideology I grew up with was that the man always knew best the man, you know, daddy knew best. And then I went from daddy's house to my husband's house and he knew best. And I just, so many things, I like denied my intuition. I disconnected from self. I disconnected from this relationship because there was always a conduit that sort of knew better. And by removing that piece, my whole world opened up. And it's, it's very controversial in the world that I come from to say this. Like I said, I believe in your right to practice whatever you love to practice in whatever way feels good to you. But in case you are someone who no longer practices in that way, and maybe you feel alone in that, you're not alone. So one of the things I no longer do is go to church, and it doesn't mean that I wouldn't again. I, I would be lying if I say that there aren't parts of it that I, uh, I miss. I miss like Christmas time at church, and I miss um, some of those rituals and those things that feel like just a part. There's just a comfort in them and i'm positive that i'll be in church services in the future just cuz that's how life goes you you go with someone to a service or it's a wedding or it's a funeral or you know a christening or something like that but it is i guess what i'm saying is i no longer seek out church as my connection to the divine i don't need a conduit anymore i understand that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world okay the last thing that i don't do anymore which is, I mean, possibly more controversial than not going to church, is I don't get sick. I don't get sick anymore. I made this decision two and a half or three years ago, maybe, maybe two, I don't remember, sometime in the past few years, I made this decision that our minds are the most powerful thing in the whole of our being. They're so powerful. Your mind is so powerful. The reason I know your mind is so powerful is because your mind can make you believe things that are not actually happening. You can have a physical response to a thought that has not happened. It's why you can have an anxiety attack just imagining something that might occur. Right, You're, You can imagine what would happen if your mother-in-law got upset with you about something random, and you can feel yourself begin to have an anxiety attack based on an imaginary thing. In the same way that you could imagine something that's sexy that turns you on, you could start to think about like when your partner does that thing that they do in bed, and, it make, and you could literally make your, like, your body can begin to get turned on based on a thought. Your mind is incredibly powerful when it comes to what your body is doing. There's a great documentary on this called Heal. It's older, but it's it's worth a look if you haven't ever seen it before. It explores our body and the healing process. There's a ton with this and quantum physics. You can look at the work of Joe Dispenza. Um, it's a real thing that our minds are very powerful. And so I, in learning about these things and studying these things, I thought, okay, well, if my mind is that powerful, what are thoughts I allow myself to think that are no longer serving me? What are thoughts I allow myself to think that are no longer serving me? Because if I can begin to identify those thoughts, even if I can't control them every time, simply becoming conscious of where they take up space in my mind can help me to sort of shrink the amount of times that they're coming into play. And I started to pay attention to thoughts I had surrounding stress, surrounding sleep, surrounding feeling rested, and getting sick. I have in the past gotten sick in kind of the same patterns over and over and over again. Let me know if this is something you guys experience, but I essentially would get sick on the tail end of every big project that I did. So I'd have a big launch, like let's say a book was coming out, I'm going on a book tour, or I'm going on a speaking tour like I'm on right now, and that would happen. And then as soon as I had wrapped up all the things I needed to do, I would get sick. I would get really, really sick. It was like my immune system was like, just stay, just stay, just stay, crash, And I had all of these beliefs around that was sort of the way it would be, that I would just push myself as hard as I could, and then I'd get sick. When I was learning all of these things about how powerful our minds are, I thought, well, hell. Hell's bells. Let's just see if I can change this narrative. So I started with an affirmation that was like, oh, I am strong. I'm healthy. I'm full of vitality. I have energy. I would come up with all of these things that I wanted to be, that would be my version of what wellness looked like. And then one day I was like, I'm just going to try this. And I just started saying, I don't get sick. When people would be like, oh, look, you know, you got to get a flu shot. I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. I don't get sick. When COVID happened, I said it over and over and over again. I was like, I don't get sick. I'm energetically protected. Angels are keeping me safe. My immune system is strong. I have the most amazing immune system ever. I just don't get sick, y'all. None of those things. I have like no facts to base anything I just said. My immune system is not historically so strong. Historically, I had gotten sick all the time, but I just started to affirm that for myself. I'd even I'd feel my body start to feel weak or I'd get a tickle in my throat, and I'd just be like, Nope, I don't get sick. I don't get sick. I don't get sick. I know this sounds stupid, but I swear to you, this works. This works. Now, I also take care of my body. I drink water, like so much freaking water. I get sleep. I eat whole foods as much as possible. I am making really smart choices nutritionally. I have supplements. I am living for optimum health, which definitely supports this vision, But the affirmation of this being my truth, I think, is the key. It is going on tour right now. Crew members dropping like flies. I mean, God love – they're all friends or family, so I'm teasing. But they are all getting sick because they're they're catching flus. They're catching colds. Part of it is the stress of travel not eating well, not sleeping enough, you know, having fun, like going out for drinks as a crew, whatever. So part of it is I don't do those things. Like, I love it. Like, hey, y'all go have fun. But I don't do that. I know if I'm going to put myself into a stressful situation, if you are going to put yourself into a stressful situation, you have to double down on the self-care. You have to double down on the things that are making you vital and healthy and strong so that you don't get sick. And when everyone, like, everyone's feeling bad, and one of the members of my team was like, hey, how are you? Like, everyone's sort of struggling. I'm like, oh, I'm great. I don't get sick. And she was like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, no, for real. So I've gotten sick one time in the last three years, and I swear to you that I made a conscious decision to allow it. If you are not a hippie right now, you are rolling your eyes at me, sister, and that is okay. But I made a conscious decision At the beginning of this year, Noah, my daughter, who's five, she was four at the time, got COVID. Sweet, poor baby. She got it from preschool. She's four. She wants mama. She doesn't feel good. Everybody else had had it. My boyfriend, look, you want to know how I don't get sick? I spent an entire week with my boyfriend. He had COVID. We didn't know. We were making out like it was a part-time job. Kids were with their dad, and I was like, hey, boo. Let's do all the things. I mean, at, he was coughing. I just thought he had a flu. Like he was coughing, coughing in my face sometimes in the night, and I was like, "Oh, poor baby." Whatever, taking care of him. Turns out he had COVID. I did not get it. Everybody in my family got it. Didn't get it. Didn't get it. Noah got it, and I was like, "Okay, I'm going to be holding this baby for the next like ten days. Let's just go ahead and get this over with. Let's go ahead and get those antibodies in here. Like, let's just let's just go." So I did get it at the beginning of the year, and I I probably sound like an insane person right now, but maybe some of you are like hippie granola people too, and you're like, I get you, sister. I just wanted to tell that story because even if you aren't like full tilt all the way, I think that understanding that your mind plays a lot more of a role in your wellness than you understand currently can be huge. You are not required to get the flu this year. You are not required to catch a cold just because everybody else has it. If you're taking care of yourself, you're washing your hands, you're drinking water, you're getting enough sleep, you're making smart choices, you're making mostly smart choices, you should be able to live in optimum health. But the key to that is you believing that that is something that is possible for you and that you just don't let Those things take up space in your brain that like if you feel you're like, oh, I'm feeling run down. It's like, have you ever been somewhere and someone will be like, oh, you look, are you okay? And you start to feel sick even though you felt fine two minutes before. It's because your mind is so powerful. So if your mind is that powerful, give it the strength it needs to support your immune system. And that is my, that's my hippie advice for today, guys. That's my woo-woo spiritual out there but I'll tell you what you might not always track with what sister's saying but the amount of dms and emails and calls to the hotline I get from y'all who are like girl I thought you were crazy with this manifesting thing or I thought you were crazy with this mindset conversation I thought but I just tried it just to see so like I could tell you if you were wrong and I will be damned but this is working for me too So at the very least, it's worth a try. You don't have to like go off in every area that I've let go of things, but I think it's worth a consideration. Those are, I don't know how many things that was, but that's a handful of things that I don't do anymore. And it's worth asking yourself if there's something in your life that you could let go of that's no longer serving you. It's that simple it's like, oh, there's a great quote. Perfection is achieved not by adding more things, but when there's nothing left to take away. I'm not even aiming for perfection over here. I'm just aiming for like a beautiful life. A beautiful life to me means that we let go of things that don't serve us, especially when they were narratives given to us by someone else. They're not narratives that we chose. That's today's episode. I hope you found it helpful. If you dug it, share it with someone that you think would dig it too. I'll be back next week with more conversation. And until then, I love you guys. And I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.